Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. So hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we are talking about acceptance. And the front of the card is the goddess is at the ocean sitting on the beach, the waves and the shore behind her. She's got her arm around herself and the other arm around her deer. And it just is a very peaceful card, it's kind of a fun card because she's at the beach, but she's just sort of being there. She's being with herself and the ocean and the deer. So in the back of the card, it reads... Acceptance means to honor and respect our body and ourself exactly as we are right now in this moment. When we step into acceptance, we stop struggling and fighting, and we begin to make peace with ourselves. This empowers our body and ourself to be who we really are in this moment. It takes us out of the obsession of wanting to be different and allows us to be more present with ourselves and therefore better able to meet our own needs. So for me, you know, how I work with this card with my clients and how I worked with it with myself as I was trying to navigate my own life, there's a thing in AA where it says acceptance is the key to all of our issues, is that It is what it is. If we can accept what it is, if it needs to change, then we can change it. But we first have to sort of see where we are right now in the moment and be okay with it. Not that maybe we don't want to change it or it needs to be different, but going into acceptance stops the struggle. And in stopping the struggle sometimes brings the answer, which I think is very powerful. So... Not sure if I know anybody else better equipped to talk about this topic, acceptance. And I'm really pleased that she's here with us on the podcast today. So I'm going to turn this over to Carolyn and she can talk about what she's doing these days, what's up with her, where has she been? Uh, what <laughs> what have I been doing? What has she been doing? <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me. I love this card also. It's perfect for me because I live at the beach, so it was great. And also, acceptance versus resistance is one of the main things that I work with and teach clients that is a difficult concept, you know, in the beginning for them to understand. Yep. So I want to talk about that a little bit, and then I'll tell you a little bit more what I'm doing now. Can I help that? So a lot of times people think acceptance means that we think that you're not allowed to change anything. How silly that would be, right? Like what if you're in a domestic violence situation or something? But it is a spiritual principle. You mentioned, you know, the 12-step. It goes back to Buddhist scriptures even and the idea that 
there is suffering that happens to us and then that's inevitable. And then there is the suffering that we pile on top of that because of non-acceptance, because we're in resistance to the truth of what is. And that's really the part to focus on. Like sometimes when I'm working with somebody about their body and they're in such non-acceptance about, I just can't accept it the way, I just can't live with this. I always say, you know, not accepting your body is like not accepting gravity. There's no, (laughs) how do you do that? It it is. It's here right now. It is what it is. That doesn't mean that you can't do something to change it, uh, albeit if you do it in a way that fits with your soul, in a way that doesn't compromise your health or betray your soul. If you want to start walking or dancing or, you know, you want to do things, maybe you want to get in better shape because you want to be able to do a, a hike that you haven't been able to do before. There's always a way that I think people are afraid if they live and practice acceptance, it means they cannot move forward or cannot change. So I think we always have to combat that. You know what I mean? Right. I do know what you mean. I've had people say, if I accept this, I'm just giving up and I'm going to lay on the couch in my sweats. No, it's not black and white. Like you either <laughs> hate your body and never accept it or you you accept it and then you still hate your body. I mean, it's no, it's about this is the place that we're working from, from right here. It's sort of like acceptance and. Yeah. Because when people are in non-acceptance and they're in resistance, then they're not liking themselves. They're not wanting to go out. They don't want to put on a bathing suit and go to the beach, you know, yeah, forget about it. Yeah. And then they feel worse and then they stay home. And because they feel worse, then they binge, for example. So it becomes this really cyclic pattern. So I'm always asking people, there's only two ways to deal with something, acceptance or resistance. Which do you want it to be? There's only two ways. And when you say it that way, I think it helps people to begin to use that mantra, am I in acceptance or resistance to this? And I think it helps them to stay on track a little bit better with that concept anyway. Yes. And the idea that we're so horrible, that our bodies are so horrible or or the way that we are so horrible that we can just not accept it. I can understand if we were complete that we may not want to accept that and try to change, but a narcissist wouldn't even try to change. They wouldn't even think of it. You know, they think, hey, I'm all good. We think so badly of ourselves that we cannot accept it, which is not the truth. You know, I look at their bodies and I go, you look fine. You're fine. How do you feel? Well, I like to give analogies too, because the body is such a trigger. And because we live in this world with so many pressures. So what I would do, I try to, and I use analogies a lot. So I'll try, for example, let's say I'm working with clients in a group. And uh, mm-hmm. let's say we're going to go on this outing and we plan it for this sunny day. And I'm going to take them somewhere. Or even if you're working with a family member or a friend. And then you're going to go on a picnic, let's say. And then it rains. Yeah. So you have the rain. And you can either be in resistance to the rain. Oh my God, I can't go on the picnic. My day's ruined or whatever. And you're allowed to have some of that. I mean, feel your feelings, right? But then move on to the point where, okay, I'm accepting that there's rain. What can I do in the rain? I'm going to go out and splash around in puddles. You know, I'm going to go out 
and feel what it's like to be in nature when it's raining or, Mm -hmm. you know, take those, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Have a picnic inside or whatever. (laughs) When I'm working with clients, once I get them to accept that, they're all like, yeah, yeah, we get that. That's true. We're going to go out. We're going to have a picnic inside. Then I say, you know, this is not that different from if you accept this concept when it comes to the rain then you can accept this concept when it comes to your body. It's really no difference. It's the same thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. But we think that if we, I mean, what I feel like, what I thought, and what I hear my clients, that if they accept it, then they're saying it will always be like this. It's such a black and white issue for them. And I'm like, no, it is a gray issue. There's a lot of room between acceptance and I can never be anything different. You know, that's completely opposite. There's a lot of stuff in the middle. I always say, first, feel your feelings about it, and then break it down into what are parts of this that are changeable, and that goes back to the 12-step thing, except the things I can change and the things I cannot change. I forget how they say it, much more eloquent than that, but, you know, that's where the learning comes. So then you can feel your feelings about it. You can cry about it. Like I give the analogy also, actually, it actually happened to me once. I'm doing a lecture in Canada. We took a break and I was going to come back to the room and talk about acceptance. It was one of the things on my topics. And when we got back from the break, I came into the room and realized someone had stolen my laptop. (gasps) So so there's 700 people waiting for me to talk. And I looked at everybody and I said, Wow, what an interesting thing. I'm going to have to practice what I preach right now. Let me just have a moment. I took a few deep breaths. I had a couple of tears. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, the thing is, it's gone. And so now I have to accept that it's gone and move on. So everybody, we're going to switch to a different room. We're going to form two concentric circles. It's the only way I know how to do this with this crowd and we're going to go forward. And that's the thing that you have to do. I mean, I wasn't happy that I got my computer stolen. But then the next step is, okay, what are some things that I have to do to deal with it? I have to call the police. I have to report it. But I accepted that it was gone. Instead of that tragic being in resistance to it, being upset, why did I do this? Who did that? All the stuff that we bring on ourselves. Exactly. And I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. It's like you had a job to do. There were 700 people there to hear what you were going to say. And they may or may not have even known why you would need the computer. Why wouldn't it always be like this? We don't have to put that on everybody. We can say, okay, change. I'm going to change to this different way of doing something. So did you get it back? I never got it back. Wow. Yeah. They saw some teenage to 20-year-olds on the video camera coming into the auditorium when we were all at lunch with hoodies Ah. on. So that's probably what it was. So I didn't get it back. But you know what what else I told myself is I'd rather be me without my computer than be the person who had to steal. Exactly. And you were still here. Yeah. I didn't steal me. (laughs) Right. The important part about the whole day was you were there. You were still there doing what you know how to do whether you have a computer or not. So I think when we teach people things about their bodies, people with disordered eating or body image disturbance or eating disorders, I think it's good to teach these principles and really get them solidified in a way 
that's not related to the body because there's so much defensiveness when we start talking about the body and then say, how can you apply the same concept? How can you take this and apply it to what you're doing in your relationship with your body? Because I think it's easier to sort of begin to segue into the body thing. Yes. Once people get the concept. And the defensiveness comes from our diet mentality that if I tell my clients the same thing, that it is what it is, and just accept it, love it, take care of it the way that it is. This is your body. This is your precious, precious body. It just is here for you. So they say, well, I can change it. I can make it thinner. I can make it bigger. Well, of course, but that's your diet mentality. And also, hey, there's the cost-benefit analysis of that. You can do that, yeah. but that's why in my definition of recovered, I say in being recovered, the stance of the person is I will no longer do anything that compromises my health yes. or betrays my soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size, or reach a certain number on the scale. I mean, that, to me, that's the bottom line. Well, that's what I tell people. At what cost? At what cost do you do that? Yeah. And I think we can only be guides, you and I, for our clients, and they have to make the choices they make. So I just keep trying to hold up a mirror and say, do you see what I see and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) how this is affecting you or what you're doing with this? And would you like to change that? Would you like to stop having such a bad relationship with your body, your earth suit. I like to call it their earth suit. (laughs) Yes, it's exactly right. And it's the only one you're going to get. That's the other thing that I don't know what I thought. I thought that somehow that was going to be given a different body at some point. Like I was going to win a prize and it would be a different body. And until then, I had to fight with this one. And when I finally realized, no, this is the one I'm going to get. So... I might as well take care of it. It was a very eye-opening thing. And the only reason we think like that is because we're taught to compare. We're taught what the ideal is. That's that, that whole Fiji study that happened years ago where the researchers were doing this work in Fiji and realized, hey, there's no dieting here. There's no eating disorders here. And they started studying it within 10 years Oh, I don't even think it was that long. But when television came to Fiji, all of a sudden, all these girls are throwing up, vomiting to lose weight. And nobody even taught them how to do it. They're dieting, they're trying to lose weight. And when the researchers interviewed them, it's interesting what they said, because they said, well, we could see on television that the characters who had the most status in these television shows and were the most revered and accepted and whatever were the ones who were the thinnest. Now, that was so interesting because here you ruin this what, 2,000-year-old culture where being big was considered abundant and good? Yes, exactly. I've had parents tell me, I don't know how my daughter got this eating disorder. We've never said a word about her weight. She could always do whatever she wanted to. We named her Athena, for God's sakes. Where did she get it? It's like, have you watched TV? Have you walked outside your door? (laughs) There's no escaping it. When I was running the treatment center, I would ask the clients, how are you affected by the culture? How do you think your behaviors are affected by the culture? And a lot of times there would be a lot of resistance to that. Oh, I'm not affected by that. Then I would say, it's like asking a fish, how are you affected (laughs) being in water? How would a fish know what it's like to not be in water? If you grow up with it, you cannot escape 
here's my mom weighing herself every day. Here's my stepmom who's complaining about her weight. It's just everywhere. So exactly. that's why we have to try and be the antidote to that yes. in whatever ways we can. That's why I taught a group called Body and Soul. I never did a body image group because I always thought that body image groups were counterproductive in the sense that get everybody in there and let's focus on your body image. And I would think to myself, that's exactly what I don't want people to do. Let me put a bullet through my head first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, where they did body tracings and all these things that they do. And I just thought, oh man. So the body and soul group was focused on how do we look at this other aspect, your internal essence. How are you nurturing and taking care of that? And what does that really mean? And then there were all these different assignments. One of them was write a letter to your body from your ego and write another letter from your soul self to your body. That was an interesting one. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Rich flavor is one of your favorites. You'll want to join me on the wine road. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. I think uh, Michelle Monero in her book, The Love Diet, The Only Diet That There Is. Yeah. And she says, write a forgiveness letter to your body and then write from your body to you a forgiveness letter. So you both get to say, I lay my arms down. (laughs) Yeah. And we have to guide people to that because there's no mentoring for this in the culture, really. So we have to guide people to look at it differently, to look at it that way. Yeah. And this stuff is so core and so deep. I think about watching my mother go through Alzheimer's and at some point at the end of her life, she didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was. She didn't know where she was, but she could say, I can't believe how fat I am. And I would say, mom, you look beautiful. What are you talking about? You don't even have a mirror in here. She goes, oh, but I know. I know that I'm fat. Oh, that's fascinating. I went through my mother's Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. with her also. So that is a very interesting thing that you just said. Very, very core. For her, that was her whole identity. She's going to lose a little bit of weight pretty soon. It was just always. Well, how could we not be affected by that? That's right. So that's why we have to do all these little things, being the antidotes (laughs) everywhere. That's, That's actually why I wrote the book, Your Dieting Daughter, the very first book I wrote. And I wrote it because I was running a group for women and the one person stood up and said, if my mom would have taken me to diet places when I was younger, like Weight Watchers or stuff like that, if she would have helped me diet, I don't think I'd have the problem I have today. And the person right next to her stood up and said, if my mom had not taken me to those places, (laughs) I mean, my mom took me to those places and that really messed me up. And I realized parents are so screwed. (laughs) And so I wrote that book, Your Dieting Daughter, just to try to come up with all these different antidotes for things that parents can do, both mothers and fathers, that would be antidotes to the the diet mentality, the diet culture. 
Yeah. And what is your latest book? I think the last one was, yeah, the yoga and eating disorder book. And what I did was I edited. I got yoga teachers from all over the U.S. and a couple of people who had, re- like an Olympic athlete who had recovered from an eating disorder, partly using yoga. And why is this age old tradition, why is it helpful? Yeah. And it's because it, it's not just about the poses. It, exactly. It has, yoga has a lot to do with acceptance because you can't push yourself farther than your own body goes. So it's not about doing the splits. It's about where your body needs to stretch and be limber. It's not about comparing yourself to the teacher, but it's about looking at your own self and where your growth and your balance is important. There are so many things about yoga. Yeah. And acceptance of what your body can and cannot do. And then work to breathe through that and be with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's what yoga does. It teaches you to be in your body, to be embodied. Yes. I was really profoundly affected by yoga in my own recovery. And when I brought it to Montanito, I didn't know all the research about it. Now there's a lot of research about different things that it does. It's a mindfulness practice, so it helps in many ways. And it's a moving mindfulness practice. I mean, I had clients crying of just about the ability to be in a pose and to sit with that pose and to be with themselves in their body, not trying to run from it, like when you go out for a run, but really being in it people writing all kinds of things about how it affected them. So yeah, that was an interesting thing. I didn't really expect to be as fruitful as it was in terms of helping people. And also there's a lot of philosophical things about yoga, the yamas and niyamas. There's a lot of philosophical principles. It's not just about the movements, you know? Yeah, well, I remember I took a teacher training many, many, many years ago and taught yoga for a little while. I don't teach anymore, but one of the things that I learned in there was that yoga became a way that the monks were sitting in meditation, and it was a way that they could move so they could better sit in meditation. I thought that was completely different than I thought it was. You know, I thought you did meditation and you did yoga and didn't have anything to do with each other. (laughs) It was like, no, it was a partnership. Well, yoga means union. It means yoke, and it means union. Well, you know, if you did the teacher training, you know, mind, body, and soul kind of thing. Right. But I don't know that, again, the culture that we live in that takes something like yoga, thousands of years old, and makes it a thing that you must hit yourself over the head with. You have to do them perfectly, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the book about that. Like, be careful with yoga. Be careful with yoga teacher. It's not about burning calories and stressing yourself and being competitive. And there's a lot of warnings might be too strong. But yeah, there's probably warnings in the book. And a lot of ways to say, here's how it can work in your best benefit. Yeah, I tell my clients and I've told myself, you're going to be in like your underwear. (laughs) So go ahead and get comfortable with your body before you get in a room with a mirror and a bunch of other people with their underwear. Because it's <laughs> if you're going to have a comparing thing, you're going to lose out on the whole teaching. <laughs> I didn't know you always had to do that. When you- <laughs> okay, well, I didn't go through yoga teacher training. I've never done yoga in a group in my underwear at home, I would say. Well, it feels like your underwear, those really tight little clothes, <laughs> you know. know. 
And now they're getting skimpier and skimpier, that's for sure. It's well, okay, that whatever it is. a whole different thing. That became a, a whole industry, consumer industry, so it really did change. That's what I mean. You know, as soon as you can make money on it, then it kind of changes it a lot. Yeah, but I'm going to segue here to the workbook that goes along with the eight keys. That's the most recent one. And I sometimes see those things as being together as opposed to sure, of course. Things. But in that book, there's actually questions and answers, you know, can fill right in the page. So people could just write in their own book, like a journal. There's a lot of questions and assignments and about acceptance and about acceptance versus resistance. Yeah. Well, I have to take my hat off to you because Carol and I started Beyond Hunger, and then we wrote It's Not About Food, and then we wrote Over It for Teenagers, and then we came out with the Body Love Cards. And this whole time, since the first book, It's Not About Food, we have been writing a workbook. It's like building the pyramids. Maybe our children will take it over because we just keep going. You know, we have never finished it. It's hard. It's so hard because (laughs) I feel like, and I heard this somewhere once, a book project, you're not really finished. You have to abandon it because it never (laughs) feels finished. You know, you have to just go, I have to stop. But when you have a company like Norton and Sons who's hired you, they get on your butt. That's helpful more than you would get on your own. Exactly. I know that's exactly right. Usually if there's a a deadline involved that I didn't put down myself, I will obey the deadline mostly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And now what's happened with this book and workbook is the coaches. I'm training coaches now. And the coaches are using the book and especially the workbook because this is a whole new thing, coaching. And so they have a whole guide here. And it's based on my 40 years of being in practice and running hospital programs and running Montanito and all that. So they have kind of a skeleton to use when working with their clients. And the coaches are part of a whole team. There's a therapist and a dietitian physician, but the coaches are doing things like going to all those meals that a therapist couldn't possibly do, taking them grocery shopping, being in the trenches or being available like a sponsor, being available in the middle of the night when the person wants to binge or going to their home and setting up their kitchen when a client leaves treatment and is going back home and they have to walk into their kitchen. It's so great. It's cool what's happened. I didn't know what to do after Montanita. I was kind of depressed for a while As you know, I sold Montanito, but I always planned on staying. But there was just differences of opinion. My husband had two heart attacks. A series of events happened, and I left my position, the chief clinical officer position of Montanito, and I kind of went into a depression for a while. And then I realized there's this gap. Why are there eating disorder coaches? There's life coaches, business coaches, coaches for autism, but there's no eating disorder coaches. Right. Part of it was, I think, I mean, there was a couple here and there putting up their shingles, but I think people were really afraid of it. I think therapists were afraid of it. Of course. Family members were like, well, who are these people and what's their training? So when I started the Institute, I thought I have to make this really rigorous training. So it takes about a year. Some people finish sooner. Some people take a little longer. They have to do a supervision with me. So they have to see clients under me, supervised. When they pass all of that, then they get certified. And then I'm available for continued supervision. So 
it's so interesting because I have now about 59, I think, certified coaches in seven or eight countries at this point. Oh, so great. And to me, it's putting the work out there. And it's not coaches that are going to give people an eating disorder. It's coaches that are going to take them out of their eating disorder. I know that you used to talk about the insurance companies and how woefully inadequate they are at paying for treatment. And I'm wondering if you founded any insurance companies that would pay for coaching. Well, they're talking about it. I do know that there's a couple of companies that are beginning to look at it. I think they would be so excited because the expense of coaching, if you can take someone who has a problem and you can add a coach to the team and that keeps them from going into residential because there's someone having meals with them, then I think insurance companies will buy in. I don't know any of them that are 100% covering it now. The only ones that I know that covered it somewhat are people who are therapists and coaches. Uh, And so I can't really say that I know they're going to cover coaching. But I think what's happening now is Project Heal did a bit of a study in Colombia of their mentors. And I was involved in training the mentors for their communities of healing thing that they do. Mm-hmm. And that looked positive. And I think now the next step, ANAD has taken over, I don't even know if you know this, communities of healing. So Project Heal no longer does mentorship. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're back to their original goal of access to care, scholarships for people to go have treatment and things like that. And ANAD or ANAD, whichever you call it, which has been around forever running group. Yeah. They have taken over the mentorship. So they are taking recovered people just like Project Heal did. They sort of combined what Project Heal was doing and what they were doing. And because I was the consultant training for Project Heal, I'm now doing that for ANED. In fact, the first supervision is going to be at the end of this month where we're looking at, and I was particularly concerned in increasing the amount of supervision that the mentors get. Now, mentors are different than coaches in that mentors, number one, have to be recovered. Whereas most of my coaches, about 95% have recovered from an eating disorder. But there are a few like moms who help their kids get better or nurses who want some extra skills who didn't have a history of an eating disorder, but just want a coaching certification. Exactly. So that's a little different. The second difference is in the mentor training, they do not do things like deal specifically with the meals. They are there as a support person. They run support groups. They're there to get on the phone when the person needs help, but they're not trained to sit with them and have meals. They're not trained to go into their house and go grocery shopping and all that. Whereas the coaches, the training is so much more rigorous for the coaches. They are put through the ringer with training. So yeah. It's too high of a skill just for a a mentor. So the mentor is kind of like a sponsor in a 12-step program. Kind of like a peer support. Yeah. It's kind of like, I've been there, you've been there, I'm here to listen, I'm here to be supportive, but I have not been trained in a way to have a bit of a professional relationship with you. So they also work for free. The mentors work for free, whereas coaches are trained, they charge a fee, and God love them because they do things that I have a lot of coaches who do live in. So they'll go to a house and live in with somebody 
And that's been intense, but it's been unbelievably positive. I had a client who was here in a treatment center, adolescent girl, going back home to India. Well, where they lived, they had nobody. There was a physician that was trying to help, but the coach flew back to India, stayed in a guest house, and helped the whole transition. Now, who's going to do that? A therapist, it's not even ethical or legal. Exactly. And so many times people, as you know, they come out of treatment and there's that space and they don't know what to do with it. And they go back home and their parents are trying to be helpful, but they don't know what to do either. You bring in somebody that does know, it's all the difference in the world. It's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So I have coaches showing up to school and having meals with kids at school. And by the way, the kids certainly prefer that than their parents going there. (laughs) Exactly. I have coaches helping FBT families who are just overwrought with how many meals they're doing with their kid and they want to keep the philosophy going, but they want some help. And I have coaches who are working with people and you and I know some of these people who have been through treatment. They've been to residential, they've been to hospital. They're maybe in their fifties. They're not holdable against their will or anything, but they feel like the system has failed me. And I have coaches who are working with people like that who are going over to their houses, having meals with them, holding their hand during a shopping trip. Honestly, I can't tell you how excited I am because I feel like, just like when Montanito filled the gap when we didn't have any residential care at the time I opened that, I feel like coaching is going to be a game changer in this way. I can see that for sure. Well, and my thing always is more support, more support, not less support. Get more support. Just to live in the world that we live in. Yeah. At a level that people can afford. because Exactly. I'll tell you what's interesting. I just had a coach from uh, Saudi Arabia. I just had a coach from Dubai, a coach from Belgium, and a coach from Spain in the last six weeks. Wow. I know. It's very so cool. exciting. Yeah. That is very exciting. It'd be fun to go over there and teach a group or something. Oh, I know. Believe me. I have a coach from Japan who is working now with some of their treatment professionals because, and you know what it was like in this country when we just had outpatient therapy, and then if you were really, really sick, you went to a medical hospital. Yes, There was nothing in between. There's nothing. There weren't weren't any groups. There wasn't any IOP or PHP, nothing. Or you could go to... OA, which for me in the 80s made me worse, much worse. Yeah, exactly. So you know what I'm talking about. Well, a lot of these countries are like that now, and it's really interesting to go there. I did two workshops already for these people in Japan, and it's really interesting to see the light bulb go off when there's all these levels that you guys haven't tried yet that are going to help So before we end, you have a little platform here. Would you like to promote anything or talk about anything that you want to promote? Maybe this coaching thing is really out there. It's the newest thing. I think if people are interested, you can peruse my website, carolyncoston.com, and there's continuing education on there for, for therapists and stuff. There's a family course for parents to take. Oh. And then there's a, a separate little button that you can click on and read all about coaching for anybody who's interested in either 
getting a coach or becoming a coach because the training is ongoing. It's individualized. So it's not like a group starts and then stops at a certain time. People can sign up and they go at their own pace. So yeah, I suppose that's the most exciting thing I'm doing. That's, I guess, what I, you see, I came around to it anyway. No matter what (laughs) we start talking about, I get around to coaching because you're most excited about what you're currently doing. Of course. And it is all about acceptance, isn't it? It's all about, okay, there's an issue here, so let's try to figure out what we're going to do about it. Yeah, exactly. So I wonder if you'll read this last part of the card, the Today I Will Practice. Today I will practice accepting my body exactly as it is. When the desire to dislike or change my body comes up, I will say, I'm learning to love and accept my body and myself exactly as I am right now. Yeah, it sounds so easy. (laughs) I know, I love it. Like tattoo it on your arm, put it on a sticky, put the sticky on your mirror, you know, do whatever you have to do. Well, you know what? That's why I think it says practice. Exactly. It doesn't mean you have to be there, but practicing really helps. And I know because I lived in non-acceptance of my body for a long, long time. And when people say it's not going to happen for me, I just tell them not only did I feel that way, other people felt that way. But it's like talking to a kid who's trying to walk and stumbles and falls down. You have to keep going. Yeah. And when you do, new neural pathways are created in your brain. That's right. A new way of being in the world. And then accepting it the way I do now is as easy as rejecting it was back then. That's right. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect. There are days sometimes, I have bad body image days sometimes, but the difference is it's just a fleeting thought. It's, it's nothing that right. I will go act on. It's nothing that ruins my day. But it's hard to live in this culture and not be affected sometimes. But you feel the feeling and you let it pass. It's not you. That's right. It's a thought. It's just a thought. It doesn't mean that you have to, like, follow that thought. It's the same thought of driving down the highway, somebody cuts you off, and there's a thought, well, I'd like to go to that person's house and punch him in the face. I'm not going to do that. But I have that thought. (laughs) Respond versus react. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's so important that we get the idea of putting down new pathways, that we can do that. This is what our brain does. It's okay. We can learn to do that. It's going to be when people are working at things like this, they think, oh, this is hard. And if it's going to be this hard for the rest of my life, it's not worth it. But it's not. It's not. over. Just like learning how to ride a bike. You know, over time, it's automatic. Or playing an instrument. That's right. It's automatic over time. I mean, if you start, the violin sounds horrific. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Or trying to learn a new language. I don't know this language. I barely know English. So, (laughs) you know, it's sort of... It's hard, but you're right. It's just new neural pathways. So I appreciate you being on the show today. I appreciate all of your work that you have. You've oh, definitely you so been a pioneer for all of us. And I really appreciate you being here and so honored that you were on the show. And thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. 
search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.